Hi there. Welcome to the Lunatics Radio Hour podcast. I'm Abby Branker. I'm here with Alan Kudan. Hello. And today is part one of a two-part mini-series, I guess you could say. This is a two-parter. A two-parter on spiritualism. Spiritualism. Yes. And so we're going to talk, of course, all about what it is, about the history of it. But I want to kind of defend my picking of the topic right at the start of things here. Right. As a born-again Christian. (laughs) No. So our new tagline for the podcast, which you may or may not have seen on social media, is the history of horror, right? And so spiritualist motifs, beliefs are found like everywhere in horror movies and film, right? That's true. That's, that's, that's canon. Like talking to the other side, communicating with spirits, hauntings, like all of that stuff is so baked into horror motifs. Mm-hmm. Like if we're really going to talk about the history behind these, you know, legends and myths and beliefs and things that have become part of everyday horror, so to speak. I think spiritualism is sort of almost like a 101, like basic place to start understanding like the basics behind ghost stories and like motifs of communicating with spirits. So we're talking about spiritualism, but still focusing on the lens of horror. Well, I think it, that like we're are talking, we just talking about are we, this is spiritualism 101. It's spiritualism 101. It's the history behind the movement. But I'm trying to, I guess, like establish why I picked it and why I thought it would be an interesting topic for a horror lens. And, you know, like spiritualism takes place in the Victorian era. So it also paints this like really interesting visual with like these weekly newspapers that they use to communicate, like ghost photography, the occult, like a lot of these things that I think we're really comfortable with when we see in a movie like The Others or something, or even The Changeling, like are rooted in things that came about in this movement. So I think like my research here isn't specifically tied to like horror, but it's an interesting thing for us to maybe touch on as we go through it. Even in Silent Hill, the entire townspeople take sanctuary in a church. Interesting. I mean, spiritualism isn't really tied to the church. Well, see, I haven't listened to the episode yet, so I don't know these things. I know. Well, oh, yeah, it's good. It's good. Well, to... are you going to tell us or what? Okay, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. So one other thing to note really quickly is that while I was putting together this research, I actually came across a lot of really familiar names um, that like we have talked about on other episodes, like the hypnotism episode, the Houdini, the ESP episode. So I'll call them out like as we go through, but I think it it's kind of interesting that a lot of the players of this are players and people that we've like researched before for different lenses. Hmm. Neat. Yeah. Yeah. So this is all about the rise of spiritualism and the second part is going to be a little bit of a more skeptical approach. <laughs> so please join me in part one in being enthusiastic about the belief system and uh open-minded and then in part two we'll maybe talk about some or yeah join me in skipping right to part two no no (laughs) okay so sources wikipedia the rise and fall of the fox sisters mediums from youtube mysteries of mysteries by charles elliott which is actually a book from the time that i skimmed uh, as well as the rise of 19th century American spiritualism by David K. Nartonis, which is an uh, like a academic paper. She read all of these books. She wrote most of them, actually. <laughs> I didn't write any of them, but I would love to write a book on spiritualism someday. I noticed that you did not cite the Koran. No. Was that a deliberate choice? It was. You'll see why. You'll see why. Wow. Spiritualism is a religion based on the belief that there's an afterlife. And spirits not only exist, but want to communicate with the living. The spirit world is believed to be a place where spirits continue to evolve and become more advanced than humans. It's also believed that because of this advanced state, that the afterlife seeks to guide the living and provide spiritual direction. So it's not just that, you know, you, you want to, your grandmother wants to talk to you. It's that your grandmother or whoever, your spirit guides, want to like show you the path, right? They want to like help you make decisions. So, like, a a pretty good non-Judeo-Christian version of that would be, like, Native Americans, Mm -hmm. with where, you know, the whole power of the ancestors guiding you. Right. Yep. Spiritualism was at its height of popularity between 1840 and 1920. At its peak, there are about 8 million followers of the practice. Um, Wait, it's an actual... People just identify as just a spiritualist? So there is some, like, crossover with religion and some like reasons why certain people like defected from certain religions, which we'll get into when they 
kind of sought out spiritualism. But there are some things which I'll also cover where it's sort of competing with a certain religion. And so in that case, like clear choices were made. I don't know if any of that makes sense, but it's about to. It's about to. The religion was born out of upstate New York in a region believed to have special attention from God. Several other religions have developed out of this region, most notably Mormonism. So it's sort of this like place in upstate and people thought that it had some sort of like holy property and that the ideas and the people that came out of this place had like a direct line to God. It was a very uh, privileged way of looking Mormonism at Mormonism derived from upstate New York? Mm-hmm. What? It's like where John Smith found the tablets or whatever. John Smith. Different John Smith. Yeah. The, the guy who founded Mormonism. What's his name? John Smith? Something Smith. Hey, Google. Who founded Mormonism? Joseph. Joseph. Yeah, John Smith's from Pocahontas. Well, with the industrialization and urbanization of the country, it was easier for people to access new types of thinking and alternative religions with the rise of newspapers and periodicals, right? So suddenly because newspapers and magazines are being distributed in major cities across the country, people have the ability to access other ways of thinking and to communicate about those things. And it's not just like what you were born and raised, right? You have this new ability to tap into external forces. Right. It kind of expands your beliefs, Mm -hmm. which also causes them to dilute, Mm -hmm. which was a microcosm of the, of what happened with the internet, which, which led to, the mass diminishing of organized religion that we see today. Right. And this is a really good example of that specifically. It's also thought that the value of the family unit increased and family as family size decreased. Right. So as you have smaller families, less children, people are putting more uh, value on each individual. It's also as the likelihood of your kids actually like not dying at a young age. Right. As like, medicines and and hygiene and other things advanced and like people had a higher chance of surviving into adulthood right you you no longer have to have a backup kid in case one gets kicked by a mule right then there's like this big shift into valuing this family unit in a way that people necessarily didn't have the luxury of doing before right and so of course with that comes this renewed fear of death especially with the standard christian religions right Mm -hmm. and which is all about fear of death right and really sort of people starting to crave a, a way to communicate with those that they've lost, that they really... And this isn't to say like people before this time didn't care about their children, of course, but it's sort of a different idea of um, survival, almost, you know, where there's like a greater chance of living to a certain age. With spiritualism, practitioners were able to practice their own individual version of a religion without the extreme dogma of other established religions. So one thing we see a lot in spiritualism, because there's no sort of centralized unit, it looks a lot of different ways. Every single person almost has their own identity, their own way of communicating, their own practices. Their own creed, if you will. Right. And so it's this huge way of self-expression. And we see at this time, like, another big thing is that, like, women at the time weren't really allowed to be leaders and this, they were allowed to be in spiritualism. And so there's a lot of uh, reasons outside of maybe necessarily the belief in the thing that this became such a big thing. Can't break the rules if there are no rules. Right. <laughs> exactly. Spiritualism was also a way to express moral and ethical concerns. Many prominent spiritualist leaders were women and most supported women's suffrage and the right to vote. I was going to say. <laughs> and the abolition of slavery. At the time, few women were able to speak publicly, like I just said, in hang, the U.S. Hang on, what years are we now? So spiritualism was sort of at its most popular uh-huh. between 1840 and 1920. Gotcha. Okay, because I was going to say, as soon as you brought up the abolition of slavery, you know that, that puts us to a very specific time period. And it seems like it kind of hit its heyday after slavery was abolished. It's something that comes up a lot in my research and I don't know if maybe it was being contested at the time or it was going back to the courts, but... Well, I suppose it's also fair that just because something is officially abolished by, you right. know, there law, was still There's still some sentiment on the other side of the, you know... Yes. And of, so th- of the Mason-Dixon line there. Right. And so I think one thing that potentially was... And this isn't validated, but my thought maybe is that, like, certain religious leaders were feeling that way and so people who didn't agree with them were seeking out like a new alternative religion that was more what they considered and i would consider moral wait a minute are you trying to say that 
an organized religious leader is advocating oppression of a, of a people? Oh my gosh, how crazy would that be? I don't know. <laughs> Additionally, the spiritualist view of the afterlife or heaven was this idea of a more moral place than they felt existed on earth. So it was this idea of ascending into this place where like diversity and all of this stuff was part mm -hmm. of the afterlife and that on earth it wasn't where it needed to be. This is spiritualism or? Spiritualism. Okay. Yep. So what you're saying is the whole idea of heaven mm -hmm. was just kind of wasted morality when oh. no, where, where, where they wanted morality on earth in no. everyday life. No. The idea of the afterlife, there was nothing about it that was wasted. So in this afterlife, mm -hmm. it's an afterlife that's ever evolving. Mm -hmm. So the the afterlife itself is evolving and growing and changing and learning and the people who have passed are not like stagnant like this is who you were when you died. They're growing and evolving and becoming more moral. And so that's why these people who have passed in the view of spiritualists, some of mm -hmm. some spiritualists, these spirits are like your moral guides your moral compass because they have reached a higher level of morality than you could on earth and so Got you're it. aspiring to be better and be better and once you pass away to continue to evolve and grow and evolve and grow forever and that's like sort of this big part of it that's interesting at, at the at when you first start to describe it like going through the the cycles it sounds mm -hmm. very much like nirvana mm -hmm. yeah yeah totally well the 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 part that tripped me up is you're saying how it's also once they're there they're still constantly evolving mm -hmm. and growing whereas nirvana on, in my understanding is is the pinnacle that that is the end game where you're only there once you have reached that level of transcendence right so it's not exactly the same as that but it's this idea of you're working towards something right because with nirvana you only get there when you reach it mm -hmm. and there's no like ultimate goal with spiritualism. Like there's no final state except, and, and that's kind of the point is that they think there's always going to be more to learn. There's always going to be like ways to be better and that there's like things you can't even imagine right now and that you'll never know until you reach this like higher level of being and that you're always learning and progressing. Level two. <laughs> level two. Yes. With no formalized or standard texts or churches, the religion relied on traveling lectures, periodicals, and unofficial meetings to spread the word. However, there is a declaration of principles that some communities decided to adopt. These are still used by some spiritualist practitioners to this day and have been updated as recently as 2004. And you may remember uh, from a past episode, I went to a spiritualist church last year and they actually used these um, principles in that church. Was this where you threw up? Yeah, when I threw up. That was a spiritualist church? Yes. So it was not a Christian church. It was held in a Christian church because that was just the space that they were given. Got it. Yeah. Because I didn't know. Yeah, this is interesting. I didn't. I didn't realize that. But are are there spiritualist churches? Because sometimes you might find like places that are called a spiritualist church now. Mm -hmm. But at the time that we're talking about historically, there was no like unified central church system. Like this was happening in people's homes and hotels, things like that. Got it. So, so okay. So since then, things have gotten evolved to all sorts of wacky business. Yeah. I mean, spiritualist is tiny now, right? Spiritualism is a really tiny thing. But there's two churches in New York or two like groups I could find in New York mm -hmm. where they have meetings and they take place at churches. New York has everything. Yeah. Got your spiritualists, you got your real life vampires. It's like whatever you need. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so now I'm going to read you the spiritualist declarations. Book one, chapter one. We believe in infinite intelligence. So, right, again, this idea that intelligence is always evolving, there's no end to it. Mm -hmm. We believe that the phenomena of nature, both physical and spiritual, are the expression of infinite intelligence. Does that mean intelligent design? I'm not going to answer that right now because one thing that we're going to get into is, uh, which is a big part of this story, is like spiritualism and evolution. Okay. And so we're, we'll, cover, it, it. Okay. we'll cover that as we get there. We affirm that a correct understanding of such expression and living in accordance where therewith constitute true religion. We affirm that the existence and personal identity of the individual continue after the change called death. So again, this idea that you continue to evolve and grow. Mm -hmm. We affirm that communication with the so-called dead is a fact, 
scientifically proven by the phenomena of spiritualism, which is, of course, maybe the most controversial one, right? (laughs) I mean, yeah, I want to see this proof. We believe that the highest morality is contained in the golden rule, which is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We affirm the moral responsibility of the individual and that we make our own happiness or unhappiness as we obey or disobey nature's physical and spiritual laws. We affirm that the doorway to reformation is never closed against any soul here or hereafter. So again, it's sort of this idea of one afterlife versus a heaven and a hell. We affirm that the precept of prophecy and healing are divine attributes proven through mediumship. And those are sort of like the 2004 recent versions of their declaration. So I was reading a book that alien species Mm -hmm. and these people from Earth infiltrate their society Mm -hmm. fully incognito. You'd never know they were from Earth. Right. And there's a lot of overlap which, you know, they start getting into grandiose discussions about how completely different societies would evolve similar sets of morals and similar uh, senses of, um, you know, right and wrong and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. But one thing that was very interesting was the slight change to the golden rule. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they, they actually had two tiers and it actually had to do with different levels of understanding. Mm. Their silver rule was treat others as you wish to be treated. Mm-hmm. But their golden rule was treat others as they wish to be treated. Oh, yeah. So the way that the example that they gave in the book was, you know, say uh, I, you know, I love hamburgers, right? Mm-hmm. Say you're a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. If I follow the golden rule, treat others as you wish to be treated, I would give you a hamburger mm-hmm. and think I'm doing a good job, mm-hmm. but you don't want that. Mm-mm. You want I want a veggie burger. You want a veg. You yeah. You want you want the beyond the, the beyond, beyond burger. Beyond burger. Oh my, it's so good. So you know, I feel like yeah, that's just an extra level of mm. just getting outside yourself and being part of a whole. Totally. I mean, a, I think that's a really good like thing to think about, mm-hmm. especially when you have like somebody in your life. I know this is like not on topic, but like you have somebody in your life who's like going through something. It's not like what would I want, right, in this situation. It's like what would they want? What's going to make this person feel better? Not what would make me feel better. I think that's a good thing to keep in your head. Mm-hmm. Totally. Should we should we write into the spiritualist church and get them to update their declarations? I think it's only fair. Okay. And we can we can send them this book as canon. Great. You know, you got a copy and we can ship it off. Yeah, it's about these like giant walking platypus people, but that's beside the point. That's good. That's good. So why don't we take a step back and look at some of the origins and philosophies that created the groundwork for spiritualism. I would love to. Great. So we're going to talk about two people, Swedenborg and Mesmer. Swedenborg? Those are their last names. Oh. To set the stage for spiritualism, we need to talk about two people whose beliefs rose to popularity during the same time. Both, And so that's to say both of the two belief systems of these two men rose into popularity at the same time as each other. Got it. Both of these individuals help pave the road for mediums and practices that would follow. You may remember from our hypnotism episode, Franz Mesmer, who lived between 1734 and 1815. So again, we're talking slightly before spiritualism here. Mm -hmm. Mesmer believed that everything was controlled by a magnetic fluid. Right. Mesmer was a German doctor, and he applied his theory to the human body, believing that if you could manipulate this magnetic fluid that was within the body, you could rebalance and fix physical and mental conditions. So his method of practicing would be to wave his hands over his patients in order to rebalance their fluids. Ah, Reiki. Right, exactly. We talked about Mesmer on the hypnotism episode because his practice was a predecessor of modern trance and hypnosis, and trance is also a really big part of spiritualism. And so the way he really sort of links into spiritualism is that his patients would report seeing spirits while they were in trance-like states that he induced. Mm -hmm. He had a small following of mesmerists that even reached the United States. And there was a a following in the area of upstate New York that spiritualism sprouted from. Mesmer brought us, right, this idea of trances, of magnetic fluids, of sort of like mystical properties to the human body. And while his patients were in these trance-like states they claimed they could see spirits. And this is kind of something that became popular in the same area eventually 
that spiritualism became popular in, right? So you can see the the natural links there. Also, we keep talking about upstate New York. Yeah. Do they give you specific areas? They do. One is Rochester. Okay, so we're out west. Well, yeah, we're middle of the state. I'm just wondering if I happen to live in a hot spot. No. The second person with influential beliefs at this time is Emanuel Swedenborg, who lived from 1688 to 1772. So he was even earlier, but his uh, philosophy um, sort of came to be popular after his death. Swedenborg was a very well-respected scientist, inventor, and engineer. In 1741, he started to have intense visions and mystical experiences. He believed that God had chosen him to reclaim Christianity and to start a new church. Oh boy, here we go. He believed that there were three heavens, three hells, and a purgatory, which was similar to Earth. Swedenborg also believed that he could talk to spirits that existed on all of these planes, so he could communicate with any plane. Andrew Jackson Davis, who was famously a clairvoyant, seer, and mesmerist from upstate New York, combined these two philosophies, so that of Swedenborg and that of Mesmer, and claimed that during a mesmeric trance, Swedenborg's spirit talked to him. Oh. In 1847, Andrew dictated a book while in a trance-like state called The Principles of Nature, Her Divine Revelations, and a Voice to Mankind. This book became a very important holy text for the spiritualist movement. You can find archived free versions online of the almost 800-page book um, for free or purchase a physical copy in most major bookstores to this day. How long would it take to dictate an 800-page book? There must have been multiple sessions. I mean, still. Very long. Holy cow. Yeah. What's the secret? I I mean, the secret is this. I've read parts of the book. Uh Uh-huh. It sounds like somebody's on mushrooms. Like, it's, it's not like... It's like poetic and wordy and like, you know, it's not uh, just a stream of consciousness. Right. It's not like a super clever book. You know what I mean? It's a stream of consciousness. Okay. Yeah. So those were sort of like some of the pre things that came before that helped right set the stage, so Mm -hmm. to speak. Spiritualism spread quickly throughout the globe, but it was most popular in the United States and the United Kingdom. London's The Light newspaper highlighted personal spirit stories from readers, chronicled how to set up a seance at home, and featured spirit photography. Boston was home to the Banner of Light periodical, and Chicago spiritualists read the Religio-Philosophical Journal for their spirit updates. Other popular periodicals popped up in Philadelphia, Belgium, Italy, Spain, Australia, and France, over 100 of them in total. These papers are largely the glue that kept the movement together. In the U.S., spiritualist enthusiasts would often have private seances in their homes. They'd also frequently attend lectures and demonstrations in halls and auditoriums. They'd even attend summer camps dedicated to the religion. And a summer camp for adults dedicated to communicating with spirits and ghost stories sounds like something that I'm looking for in my life right now. I mean, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. But quick question. Yeah. Do all of these people identify as a religion at this point? Don't get caught up. I'm going to use the word movement, religion. I, see. I think everybody has their own relationship with it. And so it means different things to different people. That makes sense. Some people are still Christian and it's combined that way. Some people, it is a religion. It, it's really like an individual thing. And I'm going to kind of use those words fluidly. It's a spectrum. It's a spectrum. Yeah. Full-blown books even started to pop up. One notable example is Mysteries by Charles Eliot, which is available online. Also, if you really want to read it, it is totally free. Uh, Har- actually, both of those books I found through like Harvard archives. Okay. So it's a pretty cool site, actually, for finding these older texts. Eliot wrote, as the world is filled with mysteries which are real, so it is overrun with those which are false. It is not easy to know what is true and what is false. The senses are easily deceived, and it is only by investigation and comparison analysis and synthesis that we can hope to arrive at a knowledge of the law under which appearances may be classed and by means of which may be tested. Eliot tries to explain what he defines as mysteries, like the Salem witch trials, among others, by shining scientific light on the existence of spirits. So his they sort of the book opens talking about the Salem witch trials. Okay. And it's him talking about how like a demon was summoned to this town right and so it it, i didn't again i full transparency i did not like sit down and read this book in its entirety Mm -hmm. but it's his the focus is like he uses the witch trials as almost like a case study for his belief that there's these ways to scientifically try to weed out things that are real in the spiritualist movement and things that are not real 
Yep. Further, further analysis needed. By the late 1800s, newspapers were covering accounts of hauntings as if they were cold, hard news. Huh. Spiritualism had earned its seat at the American table. The fir- the fir- was that the first instance of fake news? No, I'm sure, I'm sure it was not. As you may know, this religion is dependent on mediums. Spiritualists believe that mediums act as the conduit between the spirit world and the physical world, most of which also like do this connection or to be connected. They believe they need to be in a trance-like state, which is why this idea of trance is so embedded. Got it. It is believed that some people are born with this gift, but anyone can achieve mediumship with hard work and practice. Messages from the dead are not limited to seances, but within spiritualism, it's the most formal practice to receive communication from the other side. Some believe that it's an act of rebellion against more traditional religions to practice spiritualism. Okay. The word seance comes from the French word for a seat or session. So we think it's like this really like occult word, right? Like seance. And it just means session in French. Hmm. The fierce independent nature of spiritualism and the lack of organization and centralization led to many different types of mediumship. So now let's explore some fun ways spiritualists communicated with the spirit world. And this is just a very high-level overview here. There's so many more. Number one, the Ouija board. <laughs> well, not, not, not quite so. Number two, looking in the mirror and saying Bloody Mary. <laughs> no, none of those things, actually. So the first thing is table turning, where the spirits tilt and rotate the round table that guests are seated around. What? So it's almost like if the table was a Ouija board, and it was like oh, who at this table are you trying to communicate with? And the ghost just tilted the table to point at you. That's highly suspicious. Well, a lot of these are. The second is table levitation. So similar, but the table's actually coming up and down from the ground. Of course, we've all heard of table tapping, right? Where, uh, Which was actually obviously very controversial. But what is uh, What is table tapping? Where it would be like, oh... Are you a good ghost? Yes or no? And like one would be yes, two would be no. And so there would be these tapping noises that would be coming. Why are all these centered around tables? Because the idea is you're sitting at this table in a parlor doing, having a seance. And they're not all though. The second is automatic writing, which is something we see in movies like The Changeling and The Others. Oh, yeah. Where someone is kind of in a trance and their hand is just moving. And it's it's believed that the spirit, right, is writing on the mm-hmm. piece of paper apports which a p p or o r t s which means like moving objects or having objects switch with each other okay producing ectoplasm so ectoplasm is a pretty big part of this movement good old ectoplasm <laughs> so we'll spend a moment here so mina crandon who you may remember from the houdini episode was famous for producing an ectoplasm hand during her demonstrations Ectoplasm is the idea of spiritual energy being transformed into a physical entity. Many physical mediums were able to produce this substance while in a trance. Some believe that it started out as a transparent manifestation of of energy, right? But slowly hardened and strengthened and became visible to the human eye. So that was sort of, it was also this thing they would always say, like, you have to keep the lights out, right? Because ectoplasm only appears in the dark. And so there'd be all these things that they would do. Right. They also talk about a really strong odor that appeared with with the materialism Mm -hmm. of ectoplasm, right? That it had this very funky odor. I hope we do a a whole episode on ectoplasm. We're going to talk a lot about it in part two of this, which is sort of like the debunking part. There's like so much I could say right now, but... You're just going to keep us waiting, huh? But right. In this episode, we're we're, we're open-minded. We're... Oh, right. I'm sorry. We're open-minded. Right. Ectoplasm has a lot of validating traits. Mm -hmm. Like what? Now is when you kick in. Oh, I see. Okay. Some mediums painted portraits of spirits, specifically the Bangs Sisters of Chicago. So you would go and say like, oh, man, like this person in my family died. And they would claim that they could like paint a portrait of your dead family member. That's pretty cool. Mm Mm-hmm. There's this idea of psychokinesis. So some mediums claim that they are able to move or manipulate objects with the help of their spirit guides. And some mediums were even blessed with the ability to convince spirits to materialize. Helen Duncan of Scotland was famous for this. Spirit photographers would come to capture the spirits in the flesh, so to speak. Like Ghostbusters? No, like they would come, the photographers, like you've all, we've all seen spirit photography, right? From yeah. this time. Um, so they would come to her seances to capture... these images of dead people Hmm. 
So now we're going to talk about three sister mediums. The Fox sisters did not found the spiritualist movement, but you can't research the topic without a mention of their impact on it. These are the ones that do the paintings? No. So this is, these are different mediums that we're going to kind of deep dive into. New mediums. New mediums. We okay. haven't talked about them. Where, where, where and when are we now? The Fox House, located in upstate New York, had a reputation for being strange. Starting around 1848, there are reports of unexplained noises, knocking and tapping noises around the house. Often, these sounds occurred around Maggie and Kate, the two youngest Fox sisters. Okay. It was widely believed by the sisters and other spiritualists from the community that the noises were caused by spirits who were trying to communicate with the living. Some believed that a peddler who had died on the property was, was the spirit that was largely occupying the house. In response, Kate and Maggie Fox were sent to live with their older sister Leah in Rochester, New York, in order to protect them from the supernatural unrest. Rochester was actually a hotbed of reform and spiritualist thinking in its own way. Sounds like it. Yeah, rumors around the Fox sisters started to spread. Soon, a group from Rochester decided to visit the Fox home to go back to their, you know, original house and investigate it themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, these two sisters grew up in a more rural area, like, outside of Rochester. They had these tappings and things that were following them around. People were like, what the heck is this? Their parents kind of sent them away um, to live with their older sister. And then they're in, like, a bigger city now, right? And kind of the people in the city hear about it, and they're like, oh, no, we got to go see this for ourselves. The amateur investigators found what seemed to be bits of human bone and hair in the soil surrounding the house, which affirmed the rumors of a peddler who had potentially been killed or murdered on the land. Oh, so they found the remains of one person. They found, I mean, they, these were not scientists. They found what they thought were remains. Gotcha. The, what I was imagining was they like just dig up, like take a handful of earth and it's like full of hair and teeth. No, I mean, I'm not t entirely convinced that they found anything at all. Okay. You know, they might have found some rocks and some animal fur and they were like, holy shit. But it was not overflowing with human debris. No. Okay. No. Maggie, Leah, and Kate were invited to a gathering at the home of Amy and Isaac Post, neighbors and practicing mesmerists and Quakers. So they're right, an example of somebody who's sort of, they're Quakers, but they're blending with other modern movements, right? The Post had a daughter who had passed away and were motivated by their need to communicate with her. They put Leah into a trance-like state and she was able to communicate with the spirit of their daughter. So Leah is the older sister of Maggie and Kate that they're living with. Got it. Cla classic media move right there. Mm -hmm. Find the grieving parents that lost their child. Yeah. And then just say, oh yeah, I can channel them for a hefty fee. Well, <laughs> Yes. The experiment immediately solidified the Fox sisters as credible mediums to the posts, who in turn introduced them to their radical group of friends. This experiment also shaped the practice of mediumship to include the verbal communication that we see today in folks like the Long Island Medium and John Edwards, right? So this idea of just talking, like not using tables, not using uh, Ouija boards, not using whatever, but this idea of just being able to directly communicate to, with the other side using your voice. Well, J John Edwards got his start in tables. He was he was a table specialist for years. Was he really? I I mean I'd, I'd imagine. Oh okay. <laughs> Seems everyone is. Yeah yeah that's true. Because the posts are radical Quakers, many early spiritualists also started as Quakers. Sorry, I'm just picturing the John Edwards show with its like beautiful studio lighting and everything, and all of a sudden he starts like just vomiting up ectoplasm clouds. That would have been an, a pretty fun show, right? I, I think his his I don't know if his viewership would go up or down. Mm. I mean, he would definitely get a different crowd. Yeah, he would get us. Yeah, I mean <laughs> our our, but he'd get the entire lunatics fan base. That's right. Because Amy and Isaac post were radical Quakers and inspired a lot of people around them to be spiritualists, right? A lot of uh, early spiritualists actually started as Quakers. To set the scene a little, this community was already struggling to find a church in spiritual practice because they believed that many churches and Christian communities at the time weren't doing enough to fight against slavery and support women's rights. Mm -hmm. The link here is very interesting. After 1948, many socialists adopted spiritualism. Mm -hmm. So back to the Fox sisters. Amy and Isaac Post rented out a huge auditorium in Rochester and invited 400 audience members to witness the spiritualist talents of the sisters. During the performance, 
The tapping noises seemed to follow the sisters to the auditorium. So even though they weren't in their own home, they were still able to sort of call upon these spiritual ghostly tappings in this huge auditorium. And of course, that uh, caused a huge outcry from people who just thought it was fake, right? So in an effort to debunk the non-believers, Amy and Isaac Post escorted the sisters backstage where they disrobed and allowed skeptics to examine their bodies. <laughs> Why? To prove that there were no, like, props found or, like, tools that the sisters were using to create the noises. This was hugely monumental for securing the sisters as credible in the community. Reports of the Fox sisters made their way to Andrew David Jackson, remember from our trance-induced mesmerists. Mm -hmm. Davis invited the sisters to New York City to see their talents for himself. He, like Amy and Isaac Post, was immediately convinced of their spiritual talent. This connection gave huge momentum not only to the Fox sisters, but to the spiritual, but to spiritualism as a belief system. Only two years later, the sisters were holding regular gatherings in the Barnum Hotel in New York for paying guests. They held what they would call sessions three times a day, one at 10 a.m., one at 5 p.m., and one at 8 p.m. And for $1 a person per session, you could witness their demonstrations for yourself. On top of that, they also took private meetings with high-paying clients. They grew so popular that Maggie and Kate started to tour around the United States, starting on the East Coast. Leah remained in New York to hold private seances for her clientele. It's also very interesting to note that the Fox sisters had the support of several prominent scientists and inventors at the time, including the inventors of the television, radio, and phone. Alexander Graham Bell. Mm -hmm. No idea who invented the radio. Mm -hmm. No idea who invented the TV. We're, I think we're pretty much on the same page there. All right, so now we're going to switch to a different medium for a moment. This is Victoria Woodhall, who was a leader of the American women's suffrage movement and the first woman to run for president of the United States in 1872. Wow. Yes. It's interesting did that... She, I assume she did not win. No. So it's actually interesting that she ran at the age of 34. So she wouldn't be legal to be actually president right at 35 until seven months after the inauguration okay so many people looked at it as sort of like even though it was a huge official campaign for president um and the first many people say she was the first woman to run for president she technically could never have been elected president got it she was also known for her support of free love which at the time just meant the right to marry and divorce at one's own will she often said, they cannot roll back the rising tide of reform. The world moves. However, she did oppose abortion and had constantly and had constantly changing views on sex work. Later in life, she rescinded much of her progressive views in exchange for more religious rhetoric. In the process, she alienated her spiritualist followers. So she was another. Um, and I talk about sort of her politics because she was somebody who had a fairly large stage, especially for a woman at the time, right? And because she was involved in the spiritualist movement, it helped to amplify that. So now I'm going to answer your question about evolution. Okay. What was my question about evolution? Well, it came up earlier when we were reading the principles of spiritualism. Mm -hmm. And you asked, like, is this like intelligent design? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Evolution became an important and surprising part of the movement. Many spiritualists accepted Darwinism because it supported the progressive views of most practitioners. However, it became somewhat controversial within the community because the notion of humans evolving into animals meant that humans weren't creations of God and that there wasn't an afterlife, right? Mm -hmm. Cora L. V. Scott, who was one of the most popular trance lecturers and mediums at the time, she was born in 1840 and passed away in 1923. Her youth and beauty helped to secure her fame. Uh, she was like, you know, very beautiful and young. And so a lot of people were like, she's the one we're going to follow. She even published several books where she claimed um, that they were written by her spirit guides, but through her physical body. Mm. But Cora is also famously known as a harsh critic of evolution and often lectured about her disbelief of this scientific of this scientific principle. And I'm going to quote her now. In fact, the weak points in the Darwinian theory are easily found out by the student of science and natural philosophy. One is that he makes the doctrine of theory of selection and evolution account for the existence of distinctive types. In our opinion, this is most erroneous. There's no such progress going on in nature. There has never been known to be such progress in nature as the one type of existence ever becoming merged into or becoming another type. 
There is no change going on in the lower orders that are said to resemble man, by which it is possible that they became future men. All of that is to say that she doesn't believe with with Darwinism, with evolution. She thinks that if there were uh, these changes, that we would have been able to see them, which, of course, we wouldn't have because it takes a very long time for these changes to pass by. But she's looking at it and saying, like, there's no proof of this. Like, this is crazy. This is absurdist. Mm-hmm. Um, which, like, at the time, you can kind of understand because they like it would seem like a pretty radical thing right of course now it's not but like at the time sure i mean there's still people that deny it (laughs) i know which is crazy but but yeah okay i mean she she didn't have the internet right she's dealing with her own scientific findings if you even want to call them that Mm -hmm. well i don't know what no i wouldn't say that her findings are scientific but i i would say like i understand if suddenly this principle of life that you never thought about before was being called into question i understand of you know not again not in a modern sense but i understand at that time being a little bit skeptical of it right it's like saying to early man that if you just start digging if you dig down deep enough you're gonna pop out on the other side of the world right unless you've been there you're not gonna believe it right okay so let me read a little bit more of her writings which will maybe help clarify her beliefs a little bit so fingers crossed (laughs) again quoting her These atoms, in their sixfold nature, constantly changing and developing, are fully and absolutely empowered by the law of existence to develop all phases of physical life that are known. But atoms are not intelligent. The monads, duads, triads are not intelligent. Molecules are not intelligent. No atom contains, or atomic structure contains within itself, that which is the final source and cause of organization. And when the physical scientist declares that he has discovered the process of creation, he omits the one power of creation that alone is capable of solving the mystery, which to her is intelligence. So again, she is believing in an intelligent design, so to speak. Gotta say, DNA would just blow her mind. Yeah. Because she's literally just calling it out saying, you're not real. With, I guess and no one knew about DNA at that point. So DNA was discovered right around this time, it seems. So big new scientific discovery. Mm-hmm. People that are like hard, fast in their ways, of course, they're, they're going to give pushback. She's just on the wrong side of history. Yeah. So it's an interesting time, right? Because it's this time where there's all of these different things emerging. The United States is becoming, it's urbanizing, Right. Right. There's all of this new industry that's popping up everywhere. There is this rise in communication abilities with newspapers and other advances in technology. Yep. We're seeing scientific discoveries all over the globe, right? We have Darwin, we have DNA, we have all these other things popping up. We're seeing a change in the family unit. We're seeing people getting really frustrated with their religions, which are not making them feel better and safe about afterlife and other things like that, right? They're tired of being scared of death. Mm -hmm. There's also this whole women's rights movement. There is civil rights movement. So there's all of these things that are going on. And it's sort of like this hotbed of activity in terms of like philosophical practices and new ideas. And so in that level, like spiritualism makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's saying you are allowed to think for yourself. Mm-hmm. which has got to be super liberating when all these new ideas are popping up. Totally. And like, it allows you to be part of that, right? Yeah. Especially when all these new ideas are in direct conflict to what you've been taught. Right. Yeah. And I don't know. I think that there's something really romantic uh, about this whole time period. And I know that it's fraught with like other issues, but there's something really romantic about a Victorian era world where people are communicating these these ideas about the occult that and like adults, right? Like scientists. Yeah. And maybe occult isn't like the right terminology, but like this idea of like mysticism, right? This sure. like um, other worldliness, other mm-hmm. planes of existence, life after death and, and looking for like a peaceful way, like to be able to not just like have, oh, there's something out there, but to say, oh, there's really intelligent afterlife that can still communicate with the earth. 
makes you feel better on both sides of it, right? It makes sure. you feel better. It makes you feel like you're talking to your daughter that died. You're talking to her. She's still a part of your life every day. I want to find out more about these three hells and three heavens. Yeah, from uh, Swedenborg. Yeah, so I don't know. It's it's inter- It's like a really powerful thing. And of course, with the rise in science, right, and other discoveries, it's short-lived Yeah, because it's going to come crashing down. But there is something very peaceful about the relief or the release that these people found during this movement. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, we could spend an entire episode diving into the many, many spiritualist leaders and mediums that exist for this era, right? I just sort of highlighted some that I thought were pretty interesting. I think you made some beautiful selections. Thank you. There's, like, honestly, thousands more. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many influential and interesting people to talk about. The rise of spiritualism was disjointed and unorganized, but it also cast a wide net that not only impacted the masses at the time, but also paved the way for modern horror and mystery tropes. Oh. Right? So, like, again, to maybe just spend one minute talking about that horror lens that we mentioned at the beginning. Right. Um, Circling back. Circling back. And, like, again, like, you know, the spiritualism movement did not, like, create the idea of an afterlife or the ability to communicate with it, but it did solidify some of these things i think and make them more a part of culture especially in the united states and we see enactments of this time period in certain films too and in ghost stories you know such as i mean i i I mentioned the two uh like but the one that's really oh we're talking about like changeling and the others right like the others the whole like media like scenes with mediums where people call in mediums to help with their haunted houses a lot of the tactics that the mediums are using uh-huh. are things that you could have seen at this time period, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of like those weird scenes in movies that there's like the scary blind medium or whatever. Like a lot of the weird things that they're doing are things that people did and believed during this time. There's a lot of table action mm-hmm. in Drag Me to Hell. Sure. It's a very vivid medium scene. Mm-hmm. It's a full seance. Mm-hmm. It's a huge table. A lot of table moving around. There's a goat slaying mm-hmm. or attempted goat slaying, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I think the goat part of it is probably almost more like Satanism or something like that. But the table part of it and the holding hands and the chain, like all of that stuff is like that was spiritualism. There's there's ectoplasm in that scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People would literally like have meeting or have these like in their parlors. They would have their friends over and do it at home, like how we would play with Ouija boards. What as else a are kid. parlors for, for? Right. What else are parlors for? Right. They're for seances, seances and tarot cards. Right. Yep. So anyway, I don't know. I just like love the idea of living in a time when people are. Yep. This is. Uh, this is it. <laughs> this is. This is what I believe. I think it's also interesting that these types of practices are also being framed as scientific breakthroughs. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, at the time, like, right? How would you know? As a lay person, right, how would you know the difference between Darwin claiming the theory of evolution or Cora L.V. Scott claiming the theory of trances? You have to, like, weed through that a little bit, right? And obviously, as a society, we got through it. But good luck weaving through all that when you're too busy dying of easily curable diseases. I know. I mean, and so things sharply turn, right, once science and hygiene and and the medical world all catch up with it but this is sort of like this golden spot of uh of like being naive yeah the wild west right the new frontier and now we have like iphones so much has changed some people do not everyone not us i guess not neither us. of us do but no we don't we have phones we have smartphones yeah we we have phones mm-hmm. i think this has been a really awesome introduction and kind of laying the groundwork i I, I never realized that spiritualism had such a um grounded origin i i kind of just imagined it being a very broad term Mm -hmm. for ideologies that don't really fit into the more systematic religions got it but it seems that this it, it was its own systematic religion it just happened to encompass a whole lot Right. Yeah. And it, and it was anyone could sort of make it what they needed from it, you know, which is great, which is whatever your religion should do. Yes, totally. Well, I, it seems that there's going to be a lot of very interesting reveals in part two. 
Yeah, so part two, we'll pick up again with like the Fox sisters. We're going to talk about the decline and the darker side of spiritualism. It wasn't all roses and butterflies. When ectoplasm goes awry. Right. Then what? We'll find out in part two. Yeah. So yeah, so thank you guys so much for listening. I had a ton of fun researching this. It is near and dear. Must have taken you forever. Yeah, it took a while. It's pretty near and dear to my heart because it's actually something like my great-grandmother, my grandmother, my mother all have sort of not like been full-blown spiritualists, but like there's some family stories about going to spiritualist churches and some of those experiences. So it was it's a pretty cool thing to kind of understand more of the history behind and um, like why it became so popular, right? Cool. Yeah. And so keep all this in mind next week when we talk about some of the fraud and hoaxes. Like keep in mind maybe the motivations behind people to to want to believe in it. Just as a reminder, too, we started creating bonus episodes, which we're putting on Patreon. They are horror movie focused, so they're a little bit different. They're more like attending a horror movie club with some of your friends. Um, but we talked through some really cool. The only, the only difference is where where are your friends? Right. Yeah. With attending with your friends, which is us. Um, but we talked through some cool movies, some of which you probably know, some of which maybe you don't. And there's all kinds of other perks and merch and magazines and things available through patreon we are at the lunatics project on instagram and that's honestly that and facebook but more so instagram if i'm being honest are the best ways to get updates about what we're putting out and what's going on so please follow us there for the latest and greatest information but yeah thank you guys again so much and we will see you next time for part two goodbye bye Thanks for listening. If you'd like some bonus content, consider supporting us on Patreon to access our patron-exclusive podcast, Horror Movie Club. Also head to lunaticsproject.com to check out our spooky merch and apparel. You can find us at Lunatics Project on Twitter and TikTok, and The Lunatics Project on Instagram and YouTube, where you'll find our short horror films, cemetery tours, and so much more. And please rate and review. A little feedback goes a long way to help us grow and get more content out there. Our cover art is by Pilar Kep and musical bumpers are by Michaela Papa and Jordan Moser.